Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Cisco Technology Podcast. It's uh, me, Justin Mullen, and you can contact the show, as it is a show, um, at, uh, at Justin Woolen at Cisco. No, have, you for, have you forgotten your name? I no. have. I have Mark. Mark's still here. He's <laughs> I'm, still I'm here. always here. Yeah, so uh, tweet us at Justin Woolen. Email me at justin.woolen at cisco.com, 2010. Find us on LinkedIn, um, Mark and myself. Yeah. yeah, you're on LinkedIn, aren't you? I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on email, but I just never share my details because no, no, no. I've, yeah, we can email me. I think that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you can do it on audio. You just don't stick it on uh, out there because people just send you spam emails. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who needs spam? Yeah. So, uh, hey, hey, we've um, we've had some emails. I, 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 which is super exciting. It is. It is. It, we've had we've had one, which is it's a slightly weird not weird but it's 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 interesting because the person is based in the uk this is paul uh bradenbury mm-hmm. uh, i hope i got your name hello right. paul hello paul hello paul uh and he, he said he's been listening to a number of the podcasts he liked the maraki one the sdm one he liked as well i think because they were all older fellas and they were all going back to voip and he said i like the analogy of the voip guy all the old telephony guys getting skilled up on voip and it's nowadays is all the new network the networking guys need to get uh up on programming, on programming mm-hmm. and stuff like that yeah so that was lovely but he listened to us while he was on holiday which is by the pool. a slightly disturbing thought that you and I are entertainment for people whilst they're sat by the pool. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave that one there, right? We'll leave that one out, shall we? We'll leave that one out. But then um, a big shout out to Lloyd. Lloyd, I knew you are. He, uh, he emailed in um, after the Spark uh, podcast. Which he went on again. I, I was going to say, there's the a bit of a theme here of all the podcasts that I've not been a part of. Yeah, because you're rubbish and boring. Because <laughs> you only want to talk, I about to talk about security. And funnily enough, guess what we're talking about today? <laughs> security. Um, so, we, yeah, so he, he came in and actually he came in to visit us at Cisco and I saw him a couple of weeks ago. So I said I'd give him a definite shout out on your podcast and to all the guys who came up as well. Um, who work with Lloyd. I don't name them all because no. they just engage him. They don't name him shit or whatever. But yeah, yeah but it was lovely to see them all and... I even gave him a Spark demo, which awesome. was really weird. From a networking guy, I was yeah. doing Spark demos. And did it go well? Yeah, it went all right. did everything I wanted it to do. <laughs> so it was a good start. Well, it led me to whiteboard, but the best thing about it, because I whiteboarded, and then the one thing about people say about whiteboard is they go, can I take a picture of the whiteboard? And he just did it and put it into the Spark space, and the customer had the, my email, the uh, whiteboards that I did, and the uh, presentations were all Sweet. just put into the Spark room, which is like a WhatsApp group, yeah. but on steroids and better and secure and... Great uh, and we've just <laughs> um, but yeah, but it was really good. And so shout out to Lloyd. But the biggest shout out today, in very, 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 very sad circumstances, mm. is Sophie is leaving us. I know she's gone on to better things, bigger and better things in another company, and decided to go for Pastors New. So we have now no longer have an exec producer. So we're going to have to add that to our titles. Should we? Are we going to take over the role? Or are we going to try and you know advertise for somebody to come and you know? Does anybody want to become our exec producer? <laughs> Could somebody in marketing want to come and do a VR exec producer, which basically means sort out all the, all the crappy bits that we don't know how to do? Yeah. Um, you're, not, you're, not, you're not selling it at all. No, just no, no. To... But she did a great job because she made sure it was out on social media and everybody. And I'm sure that a big majority of the listeners because of the effort she put yeah. in there. So it's really, uh, really sad to see her go. Uh, good luck to you, Soph. Mm, good luck, um, Soph. Yeah, yeah, and uh, hopefully keep in touch. And, you know, when you take the podcast to the company you're in now, you know, mm. we got it first and it's just plagiarism now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and listen to us when you're on holiday as well. Yeah, listen to us on holiday when you're down the gym. Yeah. I know you do train a lot. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, good luck to you, Soph. And uh, I don't know, it feels like I'm just ending the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually only at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
Right, what are we here to talk about then, Mark? You, you lead off. We are here to talk about more security stuff, and specifically, mm. we are here to talk I'm sorry, about... sorry, I just nodded off again. Again? Because you always... you're going to see the numbers drop off again. You're a one-trick pony, you are. I'm a one-trick pony. <laughs> I don't mind being a one-trick pony when it's something this interesting. All right, okay, uh, get on So with we it. are here to talk about Cisco Stealth Watch. Yay! I love Stealth Watch. Stealth Watch is one of my most favourite products. No, it's my have... most favourite product. No, I think it's mine. Yeah, but it, it helps helps the network be even better. Yeah, but it does security awesomeness. Oh. Okay, you can have it. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we are here to can talk... Can I borrow it on weekends? Yeah, yeah, you can okay. have it on the weekends. Uh, we're here to talk about Cisco Stealth Watch. Um, we have a special guest in the studio with us today, um, which we'll uh, pass over to in a second. But yeah, we're going to talk about Stealth Watch and uh, talk about what it does. Um, how it works and what you can do with it. More yeah, because we, we introduced it a while ago, didn't we? About over a year ago, didn't we? we? Did. Network as a sensor, but we thought we'll get an expert in who knows about <laughs> it, apart from us two idiots blathering yeah. on about it. Yeah, but he wasn't available, so we have David Salter in the room. Yay! <laughs> or, 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 Thank you very much. Or, or Daz. Yes, yes. Daz. 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 Daz, do you want to, and we are going to call you Daz just because that's your name? Yeah. Um, everybody else does. Yeah, everybody else does. So, do you want to uh, just kind of introduce yourself? Where do you fit inside Cisco? Yes, certainly. Uh, well, thank you very much for inviting me along. First of all, guys, it's been it's been it's been fun so far. Uh, where do I fit? Well, um, I really started working with Stealthwatch when we were Lancope prior to acquisition back in two thousand and six. Uh, I was one of the first people to to talk about Stealthwatch outside of the Americas, and I've been talking about it for the last eleven years, and I'm still not tired of it. <laughs> well, that's good then, because otherwise we got the, we get the wrong person in the room. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm not tired. I, 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 our challenge is going to be keeping to the time limit. This, this <laughs> well, is going to yeah. It, it's it, as long as it's long. Well, if you're sitting on a beach, this probably won't send you to sleep. <laughs> no, no, it won't send you to sleep. Well, it might do, but you need to do a turnover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll need to be a one turnover or a reapplication. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we need we need to drop in a few little messages to those on the beach to uh, yeah. apply more. Please reply your factor thirty. And give you time Skincare. to recharge the glass. More Indeed. Yeah. Right. Um, so back to Stealth Watch. So back in back at the turn of the century, I should say, around the year two thousand, um, a couple of academics were thinking about all the security tools they invested in in their network, and they suddenly realised was that they were only protecting themselves from things that they knew about. They'd got, you know, packet, they'd got antivirus tools, signature. They'd got uh, firewall, firewalls, rule-based. Mm. They'd got early IDS, again, signature-based. What, what we need to understand is what we don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And of course, as we all know, as we read day in, day out, you know, the, the real FUD around security is that everybody's getting hit all the time. So they, they came up with the concept of what is today Stealth Watch, which back then was actually a packet capture IDS. Now, the fact that it's an IDS is, 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 is probably fairly banal today when we think about the security environment, but it's the way that, that Stealth Watch actually started to process data that was different. It was taking conversations from the network, so running a packet capture at key points in the infrastructure, building a set of metadata about the conversations that were going on. So it's not it's not an infrastructure product. This is a this is a technology that can answer the Cluedo question: Was it kernel mustard in the library with the lead piping? And that's that's an analogy I use an awful lot when I'm talking about Stealthwatch. It's it's understanding every host-to-host -host connection. Now back then. We were a packet capture IDS. Our maximum throughput was 750 megasecond, which is probably less than my kids have got on the Nintendos <laughs> at home. Um, 
And one of our customers came and said to us, well, guys, this is fantastic technology. We're deploying it everywhere, which is a challenge because we've got to deploy it everywhere. How can we make this scale? So we went back and we looked at what we were doing inside StealthWatch, and we realized that there was a direct analogy between the metadata that we create in StealthWatch and a, a protocol that's pretty per pervasive today, and that is NetFlow. Mm -hmm. uh, and I should say here, mm -hmm. we're talking about Cisco NetFlow, but I could equally be talking about Cflow, Jflow, Sflow, IPFix, any flow protocol. Now, that makes a scale. It is, it, sorry, it, just ask a question about, are all those flow, are all flows equal? They're not. Um, some flows are better than others. Um, there's also issues around sampling versus non-sampled flow, and we'll probably come on to a, a conversation about that, because I know Mark's going to ask me some oh, yeah. very awkward questions <laughs> later on. So, so NetFlow is a statistical record of a conversation. So I know that the, this host connected to this other host, it sent so many bytes using this port, and, and there are a, a, a whole bunch of different metrics um, if you go and Google NetFlow, you'll get an all, you'll get bored to death with what's available in NetFlow. It's tons of stuff. And the simplest analogy, and I know you've used this before, uh, is that kind of telephone record, isn't oh, it? Well, you're preempting me. Oh, you're I'm sorry. I, are, are you the man who does the conversation? You used to say that the it was you. Was it the story about the guy who worked out that his son had a new girlfriend? That's me. Is that <laughs> you? That's me. Oh would my you, God! So I've had a Cisco yeah. urban myth yeah. 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 has come all the way it's around. It's not yeah. an urban myth; it's a true story. In we, fact, I think it's this is a worthy, uh, a worthy re retelling of this story. I think so. Yeah, it's right. awesome. Um, so, so back in the day when when uh, I was working for Lanco, we we were a very small company, and so we had to pay for our own phones, which we charged back. So, being sensible and having four children and two stepchildren. Um, I had a family phone bill. So I had this one bill every month that basically I would look at and I would look at the bill and I would say, okay, yeah, that's about, that's about right. Um, that's a normal bill. And I could then discount the itemized bill. Now, what we're talking about here is, is, is how StealthWatch uses metadata. And I'm going to yeah. explain two concepts here. Mm -hmm. The first is behavioral analytics and the second is metadata. By discarding the bill, that's my first bit of of, of, of um, behavioral analytics. It's normal. I don't need to look any further. So I've ignored a whole ton of data that's sitting behind that. Now, one month, the bill was unusually high. So, okay, well, what's, what's the root cause of this? Let's do a little bit of root cause analysis. Here. Let me apply some security intelligence that I've learned over the years. So I flipped over to the next page, which is a summary by handset. So again, more metadata. Now, my, my service provider is really useful. They've let me associate a number with a person. So I'm not just looking at the, the, the handset telephone number. I'm also looking at who is the user. Going down the list, hang on, go back to a couple of bills. Compare to previous history. Let's have a look. Okay, right, okay. Eldest stepson who will remain nameless. His bill is slightly higher than usual. In fact, that slightly is a, a kind of the wrong term. It's significantly higher. Okay, well, he's the anomaly. Right. I can then discard everybody else's data. I'm going to focus on him. Drill down to the next level. And what I can see is his breakdown calls, data, text messages. Now, we've got a family plan. We share everything across, but we can actually see the bill attributed. Now, looking at the three sets of data, calls, data, and SMS, I can see that the, the real anomaly was the text messages. Now... I'm thinking, right, now let's look real a lot closer. Now, the next thing I'm looking at is, the, is effectively the numbers he's texted. 
So I've got a full history over the month, every text he's sent. And this is the analogy with, with, with NetFlow here. I can see the number he sent the text to, but I can't see the content. So I need to understand, I'm trying to understand here, what's the change in behavior? So I'm looking at two or three months worth of, of bills. And three months ago, I said, yeah, he's got a significant number of texts to a number that actually I recognize. And then we had a month where the number of texts actually like kind of fell off a cliff. There was hardly anything. There was texts to me saying, hey, David, can you come and pick me up from X pub or X nightclub or X girlfriend's house? That got me thinking, hang on, I'm not seeing, I don't remember picking him up from his girlfriend's house. So I look at this, this current month's phone bill and I see, hang on, there's a significant number of text messages to a number I don't recognize, but there are none to the same common number from two months previously. So I trundle into his room where he's playing Warcraft, mention name and say, hey, uh, hey, um, hey, right, I've got your attention finally. <laughs> Who's the new girlfriend? And I get this look of total amazement. This is so, what do you mean? I said, look, I, I, I'm seeing on the, on the phone bill, there are loads and loads of text messages to, to a new number. There's either something very significant you're not telling me, or you've got a new girlfriend. And he's like, okay, yeah, okay, well, come on, bring her home, introduce her. True story. Boom. That's behavioral analytics. We, with NetFlow, we're looking at the, a summary of the conversation without looking at content. Now, that makes it really, really lightweight. It, it's a really powerful source of metadata. It tells us, in, in network terms, who's talking to who, how long the conversation's going on, what kind of conversation are they having, and are those conversations a little bit weird? And that, that's our source of intelligence. Now, one of the challenges that we, we, we face in the security world, sort of stepping back to the very, very high level, 20,000 foot helicopter view, and I love using those terms, um, you can't have a secure network without being able to see it. So you can't have security without visibility. Mm. NetFlow is a really fantastic way of getting that visibility because it's really lightweight, it's pervasive. You can get NetFlow from any part of the infrastructure. And it's, it's a very efficient way of, of instrumenting the infrastructure without having to move petabytes of packets around and causing all sorts of data privacy issues. So NetFlow gives us our source of intelligence. The smart bit is what you do with it. Now, one of the biggest challenges with NetFlow, I'm sure there are some people listening now will, will know this and they'll be nodding sagely as they drink their gin from their little cups as they're sitting on the beach. NetFlow is a unidirectional record. It only tells me about a one-way communication. So, Mark, if you, if mm. you send, me yeah. a, send me a packet, yeah. um, the, the router or switch or router or whatever, whatever the infrastructure is between us mm. is going to generate a record. Yeah. Now, if we're sitting in two different parts of the world, it could be several devices all thinking they own the information and just sending me that information. So if we've got a, a, say a, a couple of switches and a router sitting between us, we're going to get three flow records. Now, when I respond to you, a different interface on each of those devices is also going to say, oh, here's some information about the conversation between Mark and David. That's six flow records. Mm -hmm. The clever bit that StealthWatch does is it takes those six records and say, oh, actually, this is the same conversation. Here is, an, here is a single piece of metadata about that conversation. We call it stitching and deduplication. That's at the heart of StealthWatch because once you've got that single piece of metadata about a host-to-host -host connection, you can start doing stuff with it. Now, the first thing you're going to want to do is basically store it because the fact that that conversation happened is important. Um, 
the use case here is, is policy. Should that conversation have happened? Uh, so there's a whole there's a whole raft of stuff you can do just knowing a conversation has happened. But the, the second really smart thing is to well, is to determine is that conversation normal? What Stealthwatch is doing um, in in the deep in the engine in the flow collector, which is the real heart of Stealthwatch, is that it's creating metadata about metadata. So the so that's hey, yeah, that's oh, meta, meta squared data. Meta squared data. Yes. So <laughs> go on, explain. Right. So it's, for it's, the layman in the room, <laughs> that's me. Oh, you'd have to point. <laughs> that it's was Mark to point. point. <laughs> Come on. I know, but um, I'm, I'm just distinct. I'm just. Gesticulating. Say it with my teeth in gesticulating here. I'm, uh, yeah, Mark's just pointing at yeah, me yeah. when he said when I said layman. Because so I know brilliant. what I was talking about. You'd have to make it that obvious. So metadata about metadata. Rather than okay, I've got a problem. Let's go and drain the ocean and try and find out what that problem is. Let's let's be clever and start making stuff up as we go along. That, 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 <laughs> does that sound right? No. That just sounds like Justin and I. <laughs> yeah. In the true context of this podcast. Um that metadata uh, that we've just created with the conversation between Mark and myself, we can augment that. So in, in network terms, it's IP address talking to IP address. If we've got technologies like the identity services engine in play, we, we can do the kernel mustard bit. We can say, well, actually, it was Mark Mark's account connecting to the machine being used by Des. So we know not just the source and destination IP and, and, and the infrastructure that's actually carrying our traffic. We will know who the users of the endpoints are and the MAC address of those endpoints. So we'll know that in your case, it's a, an Apple Mac talking to my Intel machine. That's really important. We can add that user and device context to that metadata. Now, the network metadata is, is the really interesting stuff. And that's something that Stealthwatch does very, some very special stuff with to do its magic. It's comparing a host's behavior today with what it's been doing over the last month. And it's also comparing that host with its peer. When we configure Stealthwatch, we are creating logical groups of IP addresses. Now, the logic is defined by the business. I'm not talking about VLANs, VRFs, um, infrastructure terms. What I'm talking about here are access layer hosts in, in Zurich. I'm talking about uh, key business processes in a data center in Birmingham. Business function business type function, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we think about data primarily in terms of function and location. What's it do and where is it? So, again, Colonel Mustard in the library with the lead piping. Colonel Mustard tells us who it was. We get that from ICE. In the library, tells us which logical group this host's actually part of. And the lead piping is the actual behavior itself, the applications used, the data, and so on. So for every single host that Stealthwatch is monitoring and for every logical group that we've defined, Stealthwatch is creating key data and comparing it now with what it's been doing over the last 30 days. Now, that's, that's the behavioral analysis piece. There's a series of algorithms that are analyzing that data and, and understanding, for example, that if you just ping me and I don't respond, that's interesting. Mm. If you start spamming connections to, uh, around the infrastructure, the number of times you spam, the frequency you spam is interesting stuff. It's, mm. it's pulling that, well, you, you, you've opened connection on port 443 3,000 times in the last five minutes. Yeah. That's interesting. Using that data is, is how Stealthwatch delivers what it does. Because what it's doing, it's creating 
indices for all for every single host that's active in the infrastructure. It's creating this data for anything we define as interesting, our internal network. Um, Stealth what differentiates between inside and outside. Anything that we're responsible for is an inside host. That's what we're trying to protect. Everything else around it is an outside host. So the conversation is always going to be reported in terms of what's interesting to me, my, my crown jewels. So just to, just to kind of take you back, because you did mention it um, a little about where the flow data is actually ingested into the sort of stealth watch solution. Yeah. You talked about the, the, flow, the, flow the flow collector. Yeah. Do you want to just quickly give listeners a bit of a view as to kind of what the core components of the stealth watch solution are and then... Sure. I mean, this is this is why StealthWatch is scalable. It, it is effectively a, like like an IP network. It's a distributed system. Um, there's there's two core components. You must have at least one flow collector. That's the real brains of StealthWatch. That's actually so. That's the bit that just captures the captures the data from captures that NetFlow data exactly. That's so where we, the phone records are sitting. Exactly. So if you think of every every router and switch firewall as a potential source of metadata, that's the agent. So, so that that's a that's a valuable point there as well. So, if you think about the, the whole ecosystem of StealthWatch, that is, you mean that's not it's a lot of lots of things can create NetFlow, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You've got um, so you've got um, an ASA firewall, for example, that's giving us inf- intelligence about permits and denies. If if you, if that ASA is terminating your 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 VPN, you can get user information from that. So that that will go straight into into. That will come straight in. So long as you. So that's another source of metadata. Another source of metadata. Now, if you really want to go further out into the infrastructure and actually like the, the likes of us who are on the road all the time and just bitching about how we've got to connect via VPN every time we want to do anything, there's an agent available through any connect that will allow you to get in- intelligence about the the executables on the endpoints that are out in the field that is also exported back into Stealthwatch. As so you're going to get data. metadata from the endpoints. Then. Metadata from the endpoint. Now, this is not just the... In fact, this isn't even the source destination port and protocol mm. that we talk about when we talk about the basic fields. This is intelligence about the executables mm. running on the machine. That intelligence, it's not using NetFlow. It's using a, a slightly different protocol that's, that's proprietary to us that pushes that intelligence once the host connects back to a, a kind of a... a, a um, con- it's called, yeah, it's the endpoint concentrator mental block here, too much caffeine, the endpoint concentrator that allows us to convert that to to NetFlow-like, it's actually IP fix, which is the standard, uh, gives us that additional context mm-hmm. that also gets written down as part of that stitching and deduplication process I mentioned earlier. Now, that all arrives, whether it's from an endpoint, a firewall, a switch, a router, a wireless Because that's all from, yeah, because it's from the wireless controllers, yeah. it's from the end, end so it's all the, so all the switching from the core through distribution well, down to the edge can all provide... Yeah, network as a sensor is what everyone's yeah. been talking about for the yeah, last yeah. couple of years. We, well, we've been talking about it since, well, certainly for as long as I've been working with this product, which is since 2006, the network becomes the sensor. So it's an integral part of StealthWatch yeah. that, funnily enough, Pretty much everybody listening today will already have. We'll have the capability there. Yeah. You push that. You push push that intelligence to one or more flow collectors. Now, I'll, I'll use a technical term just to prove I'm still an engineer. Um, that intelligence is collected by an, an autonomous system called a flow collector, and it's the flow collector that's that's processing all that data. It's building that picture of what's happening in the infrastructure, and that's where the data rests. So the flows sit on the collector. 
Now, when we see an anomaly, that information is pushed out to a central management console. So does the flow collector do the analysis then? Yes, it does. So yeah. that's sitting there just going, churn all this data, looking yep. at it. So it's not just sitting there and storing it. Nope, it's, it's sitting there and analyzing it. That's doing all the heavy exactly. lifting. Exactly. So that's why you need more than one flow collector maybe or, or multiple flow you, you, the amount of data you're collecting, is it? You could have one massive flow collector in your infrastructure. A if mega you're collector. A, if, you're a, if you're a global enterprise and you really wanted to make your service provider happy, you could have one mega collector and you could be pushing flow from all over the world. Let's not do that. Okay. For, for, for most organizations, if you're, in a, if you're working for a corporate entity um, that's based in one country with maybe a branch network of a few thousand branches, you may only need one or two collectors. Okay. Obviously, if you so if you're looking at a like a hospital, because we both work in public sector, we, we, we bring a bias. So so if it's like a hospital or a university, would they have from a big campus? Would you have one or two? Or? Well, um, oh, no, we're going to hold it. Seems like we're going to like hold him to it. Go, oh, well, he said one <laughs> on the podcast, <laughs> so we only put one in, and we it wasn't enough. I'll I'll give you for instance. Is a, um, in fact, it, it's it's a it's a university close to my heart. They they've done a, a fantastic case study for us over the years, and that's Manchester University. Yeah, yeah they are a public case study. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they were my first evaluation when I joined Lancaster back in. And so why did why did the so oh, sorry this is begging it gone. I'll let you answer the question about how how big well, the flow collector because uh, I got another question before we move on. One flow collector to monitor the entire university campus, campus. Mm. one flow collector and one management console mm. uh, that's that's for an entity that big if we go bigger to some of the the large corp multinational corporates typically they've got at least one flow collector at every what i call choke point mm. so data centers mm. are yeah. really good it's a really good place to put a flow collector so if, if i've got a data center in a different country have a flow collector there because typically mm. I'm protecting the crown jewels that's in that data center. It may be I'm monitoring on the edge of the data center, or it might be sitting inside the data center. But if, but if do I, all the, the the Nexus switches do they all do NetFlow? Yeah, as far as I know. If Nexus, you should know, you're the I know I should know. You should know. Well, maybe Nexus, I should know. Uh, yeah. In 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 the uh, in like the, Google. <laughs> no, in the interests of being an engineer, <laughs> Nexus has has had some challenges. In fact, the Nexus three thousand generates S flow. Yes, we can process that. It's it's a different technology, it's packet sampling. Some of the Nexus switches don't generate NetFlow natively, but you can effectively off-box it. We've got, um, we, we've still got, our, going back to our roots, we still have a packet capture te uh, capability. We can span traffic from anything uh, that supports spanning or mirroring, whatever technology that the vendor wants to use, uh, wants to reference rather. Um, and we can push that packet data locally into an appliance called a flow sensor that converts those packets into NetFlow. So, so it's kind oh, right. of like an off-box yeah. NetFlow agent. The great thing about the flow sensor is it adds additional context. Mm. It's got a deep packet inspection engine that is doing something similar to the network-based application recognition, mm -hmm. NBAR. Yeah. Uh, it does NBAR 2 now. NBAR 2. Well, NBAR 2 is the, is the one that I really like because it's got way more application mm. signatures in it. Well, between 1,300 and 1,400 applications. I think yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and so the flow sensor and NBAR 2 give us additional context. The flow sensor has also proven really useful in organizations. Now, we're talking about security here. Response times has got nothing to do with security, has it? Mm. <laughs> yes, mm, it has. Yeah, yeah if, you, if, you, if you've got a denial of service incoming, your response times start going stupid. That's your early warning sign for, for DDoS. Mm. The flow sensor can give you uh, application and network response times, which is, which is a really useful set of metadata to have. So 
inside that data center, even if you say, hang on, I don't have NetFlow, panic not. The flow sensor is, the, the flow sensor is your friend. And you can so do all you do is use port mirroring or something yeah, like yeah, that just and just... just screw, out the, screw out the traffic that's interesting out to a flow sensor. It How do you know if it's interesting? Sorry to be a bit sort of... Well, this comes back to... Is where this where you, where, you do, where you do it then, is it? Where do I start? Mm. As oh, I, yeah, we'll have that conversation but in a minute. Finished, we, we haven't finished the question on Manchester yet. The, yeah, well, so... <laughs> So, if you think of if you think of the, the data coming from the network as a massive funnel, at the, at the widest end, you've got packet capture. That's where you've got your, your flow sensor. Flow sensors and the the infrastructure convert the packets into flow records. Those flow records get analysed, get pushed into statistics, which I haven't mentioned yet. Those statistics are captured and stored on the management console, which has also got its own data set of very high level stuff. But the really interesting stuff is the is, is what I call the actionable intelligence. It's the meaningful alarms. Now, if you want, you can configure StealthWatch to alarm on absolutely everything, and you can drown in a complete swamp of alarms, or 15, 20,000 alarms a day. But what you can also do is turn the noise down. So using the management console, you can turn the noise down to a point where you can say, well, if StealthWatch is helping me to prioritize what are the key, the, what's the key weird stuff in my network, uh, because it's not always going to leap at you, leap out at you and say, "Hey, I've got X in my network." That's what your endpoint security is ho hopefully going to be doing for you. It's the this is really weird stuff. It's that answering that kind of question. A typical SOC can only manage so many events per day, mm -hmm. but what you want to give them are the most important ones. Certainly, if we're going into a, a well-established infrastructure where there may be lots of different problems. One of the first things we do is, we, well, one of my classic questions when talking to people is, okay, so you want StealthWatch. Uh, how many hosts have you got in your network? How many hosts, have, how many hosts have, uh, in your network are actually active right now? And the typical answer is, mm -hmm. <laughs> no idea. Well, that's the first question we can answer. What, what we really want to be able to understand is, what are the big problems in the infrastructure? Now, if we can tune out each of those big problems over time. So we can say, okay, 20, 20 big problems today. Let's deal with those 20 problems. They, they've now gone away. This rolling baseline that we're creating with StealthWatch will then bubble up in the next 10, 20 key incidents. So over time, we're cleaning up the network and hopefully cleaning the big stuff out first and then getting to a point where we're actually, we're really on top of all of those big problems. Do you have examples of the, the top 20, I'm not going to say 20, but we'll say, what's the five what things? Say, how long have we got? Um, no, no, we've got as long as you want. We but... talk about five or six different things. So in terms of what is it we're trying to achieve? Well, f well, first of all, network visibility is, is critical. Um, you, as I said earlier, you can't have security without visibility. But you, you, you could deploy StealthWatch on absolutely every piece of infrastructure in your network and your Cisco account manager will love you forever if you do it. But what you really want to do is think about, well, what, what are the key points in the network? And that's where we work with customers to help them determine wh where's the best place to turn it on. But visibility is everything. The question that comes to mind, though, is it is it depends on the customer. It does. It, so well, the, the, it it's, not a straight, it's not the same, but mm. you're going to say, to put it here, it's about... Yeah. So that's this is more of a... Um, I think is an absolutely awesome, awesome solution. The one thing I've taken from talking about it for the last sort of 18 months 
is that it always it just does depend though, and yeah. you, and you've got it's, to talk to us. It's and, a blessing and a curse yeah. because Stealth Watch can do so much. Mm. If you try and do everything, you are just going to you're going to struggle. You're going to drown in. You really got to focus. Understanding. Yeah. Um, most of the, secu- the 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 most successful deployments we've worked on over the last eleven years have been where we focus on a few things to start with. Everybody then gets used to using the technology, and then we we increase the scope, uh, and it becomes a natural growth. It becomes a, uh, a, a it becomes as pervasive as okay. Well, I need to deploy another access point. It's okay. Well, we're we're, we're putting a switch on. Okay, make sure Stealthwatch has got visibility of that particular mm-hmm. point in the network. Certainly, the the common use cases we're de- we're delivering. First of all, visibility because that's the kind of that's the base of the pyramid. Yeah, Everything just giving you visibility of yeah, what's going on in your network. That's, Often, for many organizations, the first time you really understand what's there. Then the anomaly detection piece is really kind of complementing other tools in the security in the security suite that the customer is deploying. One of the most important technology or bits of the technology is reconnaissance detection. So understanding... Because somebody's doing a recon on your network. Yeah, whether it's internal or external. And a lot of people concentrate just on the perimeter, but they forget about sneaking it. Mm-hmm. They think about what's going on in the DMZ. They think about what's sneaking going out. on. Do you want to explain sneaking out again? It's more a case of I go on site and work in somewhere exotic, stick my laptop on the customer's infrastructure and accidentally find myself mm. infected. And that has happened to me. Um, I've, I've worked with customers who turn around to me and say, well, actually, you, know, you can't bring a USB device into, into the building. And then the following day, I turn up with six. Mm-hmm. I've got through security. I've got through the airport-style security in the building. And I said, look, if you, you've got these controls in place. Yes, they might work. The, the vast majority of, of sensible employees will stick to the rules, but there'll be the malicious employee who, for some nefarious reason, wants to take data out. How, how can we help detect that? So that's, that's, that's one use case that I'll come back to. But the, the reconnaissance piece is understanding when, for example, a host is looking for an exploit. Now, we won't know what the exploit is. It may be an exploit that's not yet published. That's that's one of the most common use cases. Because it's just you're looking for something doing hmm. bad. Somebody doing something bad. Something if, unusual. If Someone sniffing around your house. We have this magic Trying term, to break in. The, the Stealth Watch Concern Index. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Now, Concern Index is awesome because it helps differentiate the guy who's just accidentally running a ping scan. Or, or One of the most classic ones is um, uh, somebody looking for HP Jet Direct cards on port 9100. Right. That's the we oh, we don't have any print servers in our network, don't you? We've just got a whole bunch of hosts that are trying to connect to them. <laughs> okay, let's turn that off. That's that's a common thing we find. That's that's fairly benign. But somebody going to look for open SMB connections at the access layer, that's that's not benign. That's somebody looking for data to go and steal. If if I've got a share public share on my own endpoint, that's information that could be interesting. Uh, in, in case in, in case in point of one customer, it was their entire customer database that was being shared. Uh, from a laptop. Hmm. So there were two problems there. One, it was being shared uh, it, within the network under absolutely no control whatsoever. And the second, it was a laptop, which yeah. could be taken out of the building. That's understanding when that kind of reconnaissance go, is going on can, can open up all sorts of interesting conversations with various bits of the business about why your applications are doing what they're doing as well as, oh, look, there's somebody coming in from the internet trying to do something that they shouldn't be doing. So I think that's an interesting point. And when, when you and I first met, I remember you spending a bit of time talking not only about the security elements and outcomes that StealthWatch can help with, actually, but all, also those whole raft of just general kind of network operations issues. Like, actually, did you know you've got an app over here that yeah. that is doing something... I, 
you know, Let's do a quick audit. How many servers have you got in your network? Yeah. Well, there you go. There's the audit. Well, that's what's in your data center. Yeah. yeah. What about all of this? Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. You've got all this IP connectivity yeah. in your infrastructure. Anything running an IP stack could serve something. Hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be in your data center. Um, yeah, we talk about distributed computing. Um, it really is. We're, we're distributing our intelligence across the network. Reconnaissance opens up a whole different sorts of conversations, which can lead to conversations around two of my favorite topics. One is um, data theft. Stealthwatch is really good at identifying abnormal volumes of traffic between hosts. So we go back to this whole baselining thing. If I start wandering around databases in, in the network and start downloading large files, that's not normal behavior, unless it's something I, you know, I've been doing since I started. But if I've been doing it forever, and I'm in a host group where nobody else does it, I am still going to stick out like a sore thumb. Now, that network, that, that network reconnaissance goes and finds the open shares. I then start downloading data. Now, that that... That's not, we're not at data theft yet. We're identifying those, it's called data hoarding. We're identifying hosts that are basically pulling information together. Because data theft, to come back to a term we were using a few minutes ago, could be as simple as a sneak, a sneak in it. Hmm. So I've sucked all that data down onto my laptop, onto a USB stick, onto a yeah, SIM card sized um, yeah, memory card out of, out of a non-iPhone. That's my bugbear. No, no memory expansion in an iPhone. Um, so I've got my Galaxy S6 with 128 gig of data on it. I slurped all the data onto my phone, and I've walked out with 128 gig of corporate data. Yeah, a certain US intelligence agency kind of got stung a little bit by that type of approach, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Isn't there a film about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard somewhere. We know a story about that. I think we do. <laughs> Now, that's a classic example where data hoarding hmm. was detected data theft wasn't but if that data then starts being pushed out to a public host stealthwatch is going to scream hello data theft there's a huge data leak going on right now um, so data hoarding is a really good indication that you might be being stung in the same way that reconnaissance might be an, a, an early trigger for another of my favorite behaviors which is detecting unknown malware now whether you call them advanced persistent threats viruses whatever a piece of malware on your machine looking to exploit your infrastructure for nefarious reasons. That may be data theft. It may be I just want a huge network of open hosts where I can go and um, turn on 20,000 hosts immediately to run a distributed denial of service attack and, oh, by the way, at the same time, stop you from doing business. Or I can just be a script kiddie trying to get in the news and installing a very simple piece of ransomware. I'm never going to get the money back, but what I'm going to do is totally encrypt several thousand PCs in your infrastructure and, again, stop you from doing business. Now, the challenge with malware, especially unknown malware, is that we don't know what we don't know. Uh, we don't know what's coming next. We don't know what exploits are out there that, that people have either found and kept quiet about or have never found. So... When we're looking at reconnaissance, we could be seeing the early site of malware. Now, in very, very simple terms, this is how Stealthwatch detects malware. It, it, we're looking at reconnaissance, first of all. So I, I call this the, 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 the real kind of baseball analogy here for our American listeners. So a host starts scanning the infrastructure. That might be from the outside or from the inside. That's the first strike. The first strike is here is a host behaving significantly differently to anything else and it's, it's carrying out reconnaissance. 
Now, if that host carrying out reconnaissance then has a successful connection with another host, that host that's been scanned by the known scanner becomes what we call touched. No laughing, please. <laughs> a touched host... I wasn't going to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can see Mark. I see Mark's I've face. heard this story before. He's heard this story, so I love using the word touched. It's a fantastic word. Um, so touched is a host has been in a successful conversation with a known potential malicious host. Second strike. Now, if the host that's been touched has been the, the, the successful conversation with that malware propagation, what we're seeing here is the third strike and you're out. Because what we'll then see is that touched host starting to carry out its own reconnaissance that may be similar or exactly the same as the host that infected it. It may be using one point to come in and then a different, completely different port to run its reconnaissance. Uh, when it itself is looking to propagate further into the infrastructure. So in very basic terms, we're using the real, um, a really basic set of data to determine that we've got potential malware in our infrastructure. So understanding the behavior of a host lets us deduce exactly what could be happening. I think what's important about what you just described, though, is that at a generic level, that's a worm. You know, that's malware propagation, it and is. it's almost its most basic format. If you're, if you're trying to carry out any kind of malware infection, 90% of the times, unless you're nation-state and you're doing something very targeted, but generally speaking, most of that stuff is, has got to exhibit that behavior. Otherwise, the malware is not going to be successful in achieving his outcome, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, even if you are really, really targeted, mm. when, for example, you are targeting a specific model mm. of... of, of um, PLC, the centrifuge, for example. <laughs> yeah. There's a story there as well. Yeah, there's, mm -hmm. yeah, there's another story, Jeffrey. Um, if you're, if you, you've still got to get to that yeah. machine, you've still got to try and get through. You've got to find your way through the infrastructure and get to that point, and then replicate that behavior across mm -hmm. multiple points to have the effect, your, your desired effect, from a malicious perspective. So if you can understand the behavior, if you know what's going on in every single host in the network, you don't need a signature. Mm. You, you don't need to have a connection to a, a, the outside world. In fact, it, it, in, certainly in the er my early years with Stealthwatch, you know, back in the 19th century, um, we didn't have, Stealthwatch was a completely closed system, and it can be today. It doesn't need any kind of threat feed to be able to do this very basic stuff. Now, we can add context for example, if we declare where our DNS servers are, that's one kind of context that's really useful because if we're looking at um, using DNS as a covert channel to do nasty stuff, if we declare where DNS traffic should be, anywhere it, anywhere else that it shouldn't be is going to flash up as a, as a potential incident. So what does that mean is that, that if you say you should only see DNS queries to this IP addresses, these, these are DNS servers. You see anything else going to DNS anywhere else, that's malicious. Potentially malicious. Yeah. I mean, you could have people who are just using like the Google DNS servers as, as a DNS server, and that's something that's like, really common. Um, but they're, they're well-known IP addresses. You can say, okay, well, I trust those because they're public DNS servers that I know, but I don't want to see a huge volume of traffic to those DNS servers. And we could say, okay, well, anything else that's untrusted DNS, if we see any traffic at all, shout, scream, holler. Mm. Or we can say, okay, well, if it's over so much traffic per second or so many bytes per day, tell us about it. But the key point there, though, and I, and I think the, to the broader point of visibility, is that, like you say, if you speak to most network managers, if they don't have something like this kind of technology in place, they can't answer those questions. How many no. of your users have reconfiguured their, well, net, exactly. their IP stack to, to talk to yeah. what is, DNA, you know? 
it, I've got another great story around proxy servers. I mean, proxy <laughs> servers are another source of intelligence. This is a for good us. story, by the way. I've heard um, this one before as well. You know me too well. You know yeah. what story's coming up. Uh, in recent years, we've added proxy support to StealthWatch, which allows us to take um, the proxy logs, convert them to, to a, either directly to the collector for, 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 for specific um, vendors of, of proxy, including our own, uh, or we can take proxy logs from pretty much anything, convert it to flow, and this is where my team come in. We, we, we write a little converter that converts logs to IPFIX so it can be consumed like any other source of data. Um, one of the questions that folks like to know is, well, who's bypassing my proxy? And uh, this is a this is a famous one inside Cisco in that we were doing a stealth watch evaluation for a customer, although for, for, for reasons that will become obvious, I will not name. Um, and we were presenting our findings. Now, in most internal networks, organizations use network 10 for their internal IP address space, or they'll use something they've registered, or they'll just hijack somebody else's because it's internal IP address space. It's firewalled, it's proxied, it never gets out to the internet. Um, but we were showing some reports on, on some other internal address space, on the 192.168 subnets, and the, uh, the senior manager present in the room told us that our data was bogus because they don't have any 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 traffic at all using that IP address space. We only use network 10, and he went on at length about this issue and um, uh, one of the other managers in the room slowly puts his hand up and says uh, excuse me sir um, this is legitimate traffic okay well, right, well this legitimate traffic is all of it is bypassing the proxy yes we uh, we set up a, our own little network within the IT department so that we could get out to various sites that the proxy wouldn't let us to get to to do our jobs um, we, we're bypassing the proxy Apparently there was a conversation, shall we say, offline after, afterwards. That's another example of where visibility is key. If, if you know something, like this traffic should be going via an internet proxy, and you see traffic that doesn't, that becomes interesting. Um, in this case, um, I think it was career limiting. Uh, but um, that's the kind of challenges that, that hit networks every day. How, how, how can I see what's going on within, within my infrastructure? Now, I've just talked about a, a, a very few valuable use cases here. One of the things we've done is, is we've, create, we've documented a lot of the common use cases. In fact, um, anybody using StealthWatch can get access to that library of use cases today because it's helping people understand, well, where can I go next with StealthWatch? So to come back, with, to, come back to something I was talking about earlier is, well, what is my priority? In terms of scale, think about how you're going to deploy StealthWatch. Um, most organizations want to do some kind of proof of value. Can this technology solve my problem? It's not about kicking the tires, by the way. We, we soon weed out. The, one of my favorite tricks was weeding out the tire kicker uh, when I was in the sales organization because I didn't want to go and just give somebody a freebie to solve all their problems and then never talk to them ever again. Uh, invariably, well... I sometimes describe stealth watch like crack because one of the hardest things to do, certainly in, in, in my days running evaluations, was oh, that makes me sound like I'm ancient. Um, was actually getting the, getting the eval, eval turned off. We had to put some licensing on for an eval to to actually get stealth watch to stop by itself because the hardest thing was getting the kit back. It is to start small. Think about the problem you're trying to solve in a specific point in your infrastructure because you, you need to get used to this technology. It isn't, it, whilst the technology is very mature, it is still new to an awful lot of people out there. Uh, so it's, it's be focused because what you want is something that's measurable, achievable, and, and certainly viable 
you want something you can afford. Don't try and drain the ocean uh, in version 1.0 of your deployment. Let that happen over time. So visibility of those key business processes becomes critical. Whether you're talking about, um, I want to look at my internet perimeter inside my DMZ. That's, that's a common place, although to be honest, that's less important than the data center perimeter. Actually looking at who is accessing the resources in my infrastructure. Uh, branch visibility is something that's become really important, whether that's um, you know, a, a large healthcare network where we're looking at individual hospitals connecting in, an academic network looking at the campuses within a university, or a, a financial services organization with thousands of branches. Having visibility um, from a single point, typically a WAN gateway going out to that branch network, we can get visibility without actually instrumenting the branch. So if we want to understand, well, okay, I've got application X in my data center, which branches are accessing? So it'll be basically, you'll just see all the, the branch traffic coming back into the... Well, if, when we talk about defining these logical groups, I mentioned earlier by location and by function. By loc well, You could say a branch is a function of the bank or it's a location. If we're talking about a branch style deployment, the way that um, certainly we use financial services as, as an example, um, I think everybody, certainly here in the UK, has seen how much a bank branch is becoming automated. There's a lot of network connectivity associated with those business processes. If I compromised a machine in a branch and then started hijacking the other machines in the branch, that visibility at the WAN gateway is not going to be enough. What I need to do is turn on flow in the branch and actually see the inter-host connectivity within the branch. That's, if you like, step two of a branch for the visibility project and that that's equally applicable to any infrastructure start with big manageable chunks of data and then refine and refine and refine both in terms of what we're doing and where we're getting that data from and do you find in the projects that you're involved in that people go through that journey um from the sort of the big through to pushing into the edge because because clearly pushing this right down to access layer switches is is very much a possibility yeah um do you find that customers are sort of on that various stages on that journey to do that or, or actually are some just more than happy with just a sort of perimeter edge one edge well it's really interesting when i first started having these conversations uh, about visibility using netflow in fact the first time i ever switched netflow on the switch crashed but that's a long time ago and i vowed i'd never talk to anybody about netflow again especially cisco and here i am <laughs> 20 years later, at Cisco, talking about NetFlow on a daily basis. Um, when, we, when I first started talking about flow back in 2006, we were definitely focusing on the core and distribution layer. Um, it was north, what we call north-south visibility. So from the access layer out to either the internet edge or to the data center. Uh, and we would get that visibility at the distribution and core layer. Today, we talk about east-west visibility. Certainly, if you take threats like WannaCry, that's, that's the, the poster child for, for any kind of behavioral analytics. The way that WannaCry works, uh, or still does, is that it goes and looks for uh, OpenSMB or, uh, at the access layer, and it's sitting at the access layer doing it. Now, if you're just taking data from the distribution layer and core, you're not going to get that inter-VLAN tra or intra-VLAN traffic. Uh, so we call that east-west visibility across the access layer. If you think about going a, a network diagram, you're going left and right along the bottom. We've now got switches that can do purport flow at the access layer. When I first started, we didn't have it, so we were kind of constricted. So that's, that's really interesting, though, isn't it? Because there's loads of customers out there who have Catalyst 
3850s, 3650s that all can do per per port net flow. And you could just so they've got the infrastructure already. It's all about them getting more value out of what they've already got. Mm. That's oh, what definitely. sort of comes to my mind. Anyway. De- definitely, and 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 also in the wireless domain as well. We've got wireless. Oh God, yeah, yeah, because the wireless controllers can do that. Exactly. Yeah. You, you, it, I mean, it's not pervasive yet. We we are we are the, the march to the edge is definitely going on right now. The the the, the, the level of visibility we can get at very low risk. Uh, one of the things we were talking about offline was around performance. Mm-hmm. What yep. what impact does Flow have? Uh, as I say, back in the day when I first I, I was a I was a Cisco customer and I was sold on this concept of Flow statistics as being awesome for my billing project that I was running for a, a large service provider. I turned it on and everything came crashing down around my ears because back then it was all done in software. Today, what we've done is we've we've actually put Flow into the hardware, uh, so the the performance impact is minimal. We are talking, ooh, certainly one two percent CPU. Mm. Now there's dedicated caches sitting there, able to consume that flow. Now the great thing is with Stealthwatch is that Stealthwatch can consume at a phenomenal rate. One of the challenges that some, certainly some of the older tools have is the ability to consume flow. If you you take the the default switch com- configuration, it's going to send you flow every thirty minutes. Now, you don't want that data sitting in cache on that switch for 30 minutes because it's just using up useful space. You want it out as quickly as you can. So we, we configure Stealthwatch to consume a, a, well, an active flow timeout on a switch would be 60 seconds. An inactive flow, so one that's finished, 15 seconds. So, so, that's, so that's every 60 seconds you're going to be sending a flow record into Stealthwatch, into from, Stealthwatch. A, from a switch or a router. Or exactly. Yeah. So, so you're, 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 you're keeping a very accurate picture of what's going on. I, I hate using the term real time because 60 seconds is a long time in the network. Mm-hmm. It's near real time. And it's it's using those caches as efficiently as we possibly can to get the best use out of this technology. So get that data off the box. So the, the switch becomes that, that sensor. Um, the data gets pushed out to Stealthwatch. Stealthwatch does its stuff. And the Nirvana is we move into, from, from because we're getting data for the access layer, we know where the host is connected. If we know where the host is connected, we can actually take action. Now, so that's where this, the ISE can come in and, and, exactly. and do that change of authorization now, and kick them off and it'll close the port down or whatever, isn't it? So, and I'm, I am no, well, ISE is the identity services engine. I, I don't profess to be a guru. I, I can get ISE. Mark is, though. Yeah, Mark is. Mark. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, he's, he's, he professes to be a guru about all sorts of things. Um, and we test him. ISE, or ICE as it's known, is. It's basically allowing the endpoint connectivity. Uh, so when you, for example, if you walk into a Cisco office and you connect your you connect your host to the network, ICE is gonna is gonna challenge you and let you log in. So if you come come in and use our guest network, ICE is letting you in. Well, that intelligence goes to Stealthwatch. In fact, it's going to Stealthwatch here, and we are, that gives us the user and device context. So we now know we're back to. Colonel Mustard in the library with the lead piping. We know where that physical host is connected to the network. And you know what kind of lead pipe it is. We know, we know and exactly. We can, yeah. And we can take the lead pipe out of his hand. Well, we, <laughs> no, we, do, well, we, we, well, we can do more than that. We could expel... Well, we just lock him in the room and he well, can't get out and then call the police. Well, we can lock him in the room or we can kick him out of the room. This is the great yeah. thing. We can now start... Well, we've always had enforcement with Stealthwatch, mm. but we've now got scalable enforcement. We, Because we're getting data from the access point, what we can do is, is is use the intelligence that Stealthwatch is telling us to make decisions and actually turn around and say, okay, I'm going to quarantine you. 
I don't want to kick you off the network completely. I want to limit what you're doing while I investigate further. That's weird. Stop doing it. Let me come and have a chat with you, and then we'll find out whether that's legitimate or not. That's that's really what what when we talk about remediation, it's being able to stop an incident getting worse, yeah, and then go and understand why it happened. It's not about kicking people off the network. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we we've talked about a lot of things, and um, where do we go, Mark? If you, Where do we go? if you go to www.cisco.com forward slash go forward slash stealth watch or one word uh, then you will go to the main jump page for the stealth watch solution and you'll find all sorts of videos links to uh, uh, kind of setting up trials and, and other bits and pieces of useful information all around the stealth watch solution and if you want to contact the podcast you can give us a shout at, uh, at Justin Mullen on Twitter email me at justin.wullen at cisco.com 20s one l and you can contact us on LinkedIn as well Thanks for listening.